Welcome to the Westland Free Methodist Church podcast, where we're uniting with Jesus to restore lives to joy-filled wholeness. If this is your first time to join us or your 10th time, we're glad to have you. If you believe in Jesus or you don't, we're excited you're joining us. If you're living into joy-filled wholeness or you're not, this is the place for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. Hope you had um, a good week thus far. Today, I'd want to spend some intentional time talking about something that has come up in conversation four or five times in the last 10 days. And it's all over scripture. And ultimately, this is going to be more of a weekly word time together, but also give you opportunity to better understand why we as followers of Jesus have good news not just for the future, but now, to share with everyday people. And so in a very real way, hopefully some of this weekly word time will mobilize you uh, for the mission, and I'll give you one tool at the end <clears throat> as well, a tool for transformation, hopefully in your walk with Jesus. So part of this Q&A time, because people have been asking me, I'm telling you, I've had it numerous times, what does it mean that we're free of the power of sin. I've had at least two people in less than a week say to me, obviously we're going to keep on sinning. And then, like I said, I probably had five conversations in the last 10 days. I said, what does it mean exactly to be power free from the power of sin? And people are trying to understand. Because we use that language as pastors, or at least um, here at Westland we do and in historic uh, Wesleyan communities, Methodist communities. So I want to talk about that for a moment. At the root, before you can define what is the power of sin, what do you mean by that phrase? You need to have a working definition of sin. And uh, this is where it's very important to understand this, and it's very important to understand this idea of being free of the power of sin. Because this really changes, in some ways, what we believe about the power of God in Christians and different denominations disagree with some of this stuff. And so you find yourself in hot water with other brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes because of disagreements. Um, and this one is, I'm going to use a lot of scripture to get into this in a moment, but starting point what do we mean by sin? John Wesley defines sin as a willful transgression of a known law. And what he meant by that was that really the root of sin is a heart thing. So if you knowingly go against something that has been clearly made evident by God, um, and Romans 1 even talks about how nature points out that God is real. So you could argue that a sin is even just not confessing one true God. Um, but at its root, this willful transgression of a known law idea is where we're going to start with the idea of sin. Because, let's be practical. If there's something that I can do and God hasn't revealed it to me, and it's a sin, then that's not a heart issue there. I didn't know I was or wasn't supposed to do it. 
It may be sin. Jesus Christ has died for that sin if it is, and I'm just not aware. But in this life, based on what Scripture seems to unpack for us, particularly the New Testament, for Christians, we're talking about sin, not the sin nature that we're all tainted with. A sin nature is more defined as a nature that is already twisted, bent towards selfishness and our desires and against the desires of many others. That's the sin nature, which leads us to doing things against God's heart over and over, particularly as non-Christians. But as followers of Christ, a willful transgression of a known law, that's not just talking Ten Commandments. Um, that's really, and it's not referring to many of the um, ceremonial laws and some of the other types of laws in the Old Testament. They had different types of law in the Old Testament. Today is not the day to go into that, uh, but there were laws meant for a specific time and place in the Old Testament. And then there were moral laws that were meant for all time. And many of them we still follow. It's the same thing. Jesus enhances the moral laws. And the Sermon on the Mountain elsewhere, he actually affirms all the moral laws. But he's the one who, at times, some of the ceremonial or civil laws, he doesn't abode by. Uh, he doesn't go by them. And it's because those were for a certain time and place. Quick example of a civil law would be something like, okay, they, they say they had a law around this idea, I'm not quoting this specifically, that if your goat got loose and killed somebody, then in the, the civilization at the time, if you knew your goat had the propensity to kill someone, was acting a little crazy, and you didn't do your due diligence to keep them um, restrained, then you could be held liable. If you did not know, and you could clearly prove, I, I didn't know, there was no evidence, then you're not held liable for the person who died by your goat. That's civil law stuff, that kind of thing in the Old Testament. Things that there's an ultimate deeper truth underlying it. Like, okay, there's a heart issue there that we could imply today with things like car driving. Did you know your car was having troubles when you intentionally drove it knowing, man, I've been having issues with the brakes, and then you had an issue and you hurt somebody? Okay, now there's a sin problem because you knew you potentially were putting people in danger, but you didn't do anything about it. That's different than I didn't know anything was wrong. To my knowledge, everything was good. So there's a heart of that law is still present throughout time, but the law as the letter of it is not present, even in Scripture itself, later in the New Testament and other places, some of those are no longer held by. Um, and then ceremonial th law, things like sacrifice, sacrificial system, where Jesus comes and says, you don't have to do this anymore because I'm the ultimate sacrifice. That system and those particular laws were for a time and place that culminated in me fulfilling them. Those are Jesus' words. He says, I fulfill the law and the prophets. And so now we're not bound to the, those, the ceremonial law. We're bound to Jesus. We're slaves and servants unto the Lord, which is why here's his spirit fills us. And we are bound to serve after his heart. Now that background is 
a little tangent, but it's important to understand what we mean that the sin is a willful transgression of a known law. We're talking about a known moral law that God has made known, particularly the Ten Commandments and laws of the New Testaments we see in the heart of Jesus. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. <clears throat> Those kind of things. With that understanding, to be free of the power of sin means that not in our own power, but as we are filled with the living Jesus power of the Holy Spirit, day to day, moment to moment, inviting him to just do whatever he wants and change your heart, we do not have to, do not have to knowingly sin again. And you may be thinking, okay, either this is the best news I've ever heard or this guy's a heretic. I'm going to take you to some scripture for this first. And I'm not going to take you to one particular book. You could do deep dive studies and a lot of stuff. We're going to look at different authors. First, we're going to look at Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, you know what he says? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, many people might go, well, obviously, he's being giving a hyperbole. There's no way we can actually be perfect. Um, well, yes and no. Um, you do a deep dive study on that, and you know what you'll find is Jesus actually meant and expects and hopes that we'll be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But the difference is in that same Sermon on the Mount, he says, those who seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or its righteousness depending on if you think it's referring to heaven or of God's righteousness but if you seek that guess what it says that's near the very end of the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning what does he say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness there's that righteousness word that's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount they will what be filled it's not your righteousness He's already alluding to the Spirit of God filling you. If you seek God and you seek His kingdom through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can be filled with this Spirit, and the Spirit will make you righteous and holy, and you will no longer be bound to the power of sin and continually dealing with sin in this life as long as you continually surrender to the Spirit. You're free. And you can actually be perfect from here on out. Not with a, hey, I'm not sitting down going, cool, I'm going to be perfect for the next 10 years. I can't guarantee that by any means. What I can guarantee is if I do my part in surrendering to the Spirit every moment of every day, the Spirit's going to do the Spirit's part in me and keep sin away and at bay. But if I don't invite the Spirit to continually work on my heart, give me eyes to love my neighbor and love God and remind me of the teachings of Jesus. That's one of the things that the Spirit in the Gospel of John, it says the Holy Spirit reminds us of the teachings of Jesus. Remind us of where, oh, there's a temptation. I don't have to fall to that because the Spirit has given me the strength. Being tempted is not a sin. Being angry is not a sin. Being frustrated is not a sin allowing those to sit and fester 
and turn into bitterness or actions towards others, that's where it becomes sin. <clears throat> Paul uses that language a lot. So I don't want to spend a lot of time in each verse. You could deep dive every one of these. But we look at the Gospel uh, of Matthew just now. I've referenced Gospel of John as well. We could look at Romans. So we've got Jesus talking about being perfect. Jesus doesn't expect us to live enslaved to sin in this life. Book of Romans. People always, many people, refer to Romans chapter 7. Say, well, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. And Paul, I relate with Paul. I'm stuck in that nature of just sin stuff. I'm actually going to quote Paul and say, by no means. Because Romans 6 and 8, the book in Romans 7, actually are painting a picture of this isn't who you're meant to be stuck in. This is the old self. Look at the beginning of Romans 8. For those, uh, well, we'll look at the very end of chapter 7 first. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he says, There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free from this law of sin and death. Did you catch it? What he just talked about? There's no condemnation. You're not stuck in that. Jesus has set you free from that. And then he goes on in verses 12 to 14 and, and even some of the earlier Romans 8 between that. So then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh, which is what he talked about in Romans 7. We're not debtors to that, but to live according... We're not... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Put to death the things of the flesh. That sinful nature. And guess what? How does that happen? By the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death your daily surrender to the Spirit, your moment-to-moment -moment surrender to the Spirit, you aren't having to live by the power of sin, the power of the flesh and that sin, those sinful desires. Don't have a hold on you anymore. Let's keep going. We looked at Romans. We could even talk about Corinthians. We could talk about Thessalonians. These are numerous times in the letters of Paul. Even how he references his uh, the people he's writing to. He references them as saints, not sinners. One of my personal pet peeves is I don't like people saying, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yes, but no. I was a sinner saved by grace. Now I'm a saint by the Spirit of God in me. That's absolutely not heresy. Paul calls every one of the people he writes to saints. That word means holy ones. Ones living free of sin. Holy is describing God. Other. Completely selfless. Perfect. Going back to Jesus' statement of be perfect. Book of Hebrews uses this language as well in Hebrews 10. I'm going to read verse 26. Like I said, we could unpack a lot of these. But verse 26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume its adversaries. A lot of people don't write reading parts of Hebrews 6, 10, a little bit others, because they struggle with, what is it? it? There's no sacrifice if I just go on sinning? 
deliberately? Yeah, because we're meant to be free of the power of sin, not in our own power. I hope you hear that. This is all about Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus filling me and making me holy. And as I surrender, yeah, I'm not going to be deliberately sinning. And this implies a continual go on sinning. You may still sin. That's, I'm not saying you will never sin again. What I am saying is you may still, but the expectation is you don't have to. And it's possible that you won't. The probability has changed. So that's in Hebrews. And then we can turn to Peter if you thought it was just Paul and the, the writer to Hebrews. In the book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, he says this, As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Your sinful nature is what he's implying. Your former stuff. John 3, Jesus says you must be born again. You're not born of the flesh anymore now, you're born of the Spirit. You're a new creation. That former old creation stuff, you're not to be obedient to that anymore. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That you shall be holy, for I am holy, you want to know where that comes from? That comes all the way back in the Old Testament. It comes all the way back in Leviticus. The call of God on the people of Israel that they could never live up to in their own power. Part of why God showed them and said that, this is my desire for you. You can't do it without me. And I'm going to send my son so that you can. That's really the good news of the gospel. 1 John, even more blunt, I guess you can say. 1 John chapter 2 says this, beginning in verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The whole gospel, not gospel, the whole letter of 1 John. It's about you do not have to sin anymore. Right after that it says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If you sin, but you shouldn't be deliberately sinning, Hebrews, Paul, 1 John. Because the purpose of Jesus coming is to free you. Not just from the penalty of sin. That's what most people like to talk about in the church, in America at least. I don't know other cultures as much. Many places I grew up talk about, man, if you accept Jesus, you're going to have heaven and you won't be bound to death and hell and suffering. That is true. One of my favorite scriptures to reference in that regard is Romans 6. Jumping back to Romans. Right, a lot of people quote verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Eternal life. As opposed to eternal death and suffering. But verse 23 is a summary statement. Read verse 22. Now you have been set free from sin. And you that, that's a present tense. You have been set free. Not you will be set free. You have been set free. And you are now slaves of God. The fruit you get is sanctification and its end, eternal life. 
the fruit of being free of the power of sin is looking more and more like Jesus. Being made holy because the Holy Spirit is in the business of making us holy, which means not having sin in our hearts, which means being free more and more and more every day and every moment of every day. That's what it means to be free of the power of sin. The telos, the end result of being free of the power of the sin, is you have eternal life. What we get confused is we think the free gift of Jesus is eternal life. The free gift is to be free of the power of sin. And the end of that is eternal life. That's really, that's the primary reason Jesus died and rose again and said, I, if, I didn't just come to die and raise again so that you can be raised again and not be stuck dead. I actually came to send my spirit to you. It's better that I go away, he tells his disciples, because my spirit will come and you can actually start to walk in freedom now. You can start healing people, physical stuff, mental, emotional. The sin stuff no longer has to have a hold in your life. It's such a gift. And so we talk about often Pretty much all Christians can agree. We're free from the penalty of sin. But in the Wesleyan movement and a lot of branches of Methodist, Nazarene, and others, our roots, and I would argue the roots of the first century and second century church, going back to some ancient writings and the New Testament. Now, we are also free from the power of sin. The one thing that we aren't free of yet is the presence of sin in the world. That won't come until Jesus returns and sin is cast away with and our bodies are perfected. But we're free from the penalty and the power of sin. That's what we mean. And you could see, I, I hope you can see, I, I've jumped to pretty much every author of the New Testament in some way, shape, or form for you to see this was not just one person, one disciple. This was Jesus and all of his disciples, the apostles, believed we can be free. They experienced it. What a gift. It's life. It's that John 10, I've come to give you life that you can have it to the full. That joy-filled wholeness. Life. How is that going to mobilize you for the mission? You know how many people I've talked to who are in bondage? And you can actually tell them, you know what? You don't have to use the language of sin with non-Christians. They don't always get that. A lot of Christians don't get it. It's got a lot of baggage. But I've seen people for years. Do you know you can be free of addictions? you know you can be free of any number of these other things? Yes, sometimes the Holy Spirit, the Lord will use tools in people's lives to help them walk into freedom from any number of addictions. But He can also free you like that. That's the good news of Jesus. That you can be, have your heart so strangely warmed that 
you're no longer self-centered. You're not worried about what other people think. You're not worried about any of that. You're just overwhelmed with the joy of the living God saying, guess what? I've seen you in the muck and I'm not leaving you there. I don't want you to stay there. We need to stop choosing to stay there. We need to tell others you don't have to stay there. Jesus can bring you out and free you. That's good news to people on the fringes. That's good news to people in prison. That's good news to the homeless. That's good news to the people who are just going through life. Well, is there more to life than this? Yes, there's more to life now than this. And it's not just following God uh, so that you can get somewhere else in the future. It's having a living, breathing relationship with the living God who's freeing you from sin more and more every day. That feels like it may have been a little long. If it was, I'm sorry, but I am not sorry. You know, sorry, not sorry. This is really on my heart and had some incredible conversations with different people over the last 10 days, like I said. The reality is, this is good news. If you've never experienced this or you have questions, please reach out. Would love to talk to you more. Um, there's many John Wesley sermons and others throughout history that I could reference you to. And nothing I've said today is new. Um, goes all the way back to Scripture. So, uh, I hope that this has been an enlightening and helpful time and that the Holy Spirit would sift whatever it is you need to hear and whatever I need to hear and take away and let us hold those nuggets for ourselves. And uh, just pray with me for a moment, wherever you're at, just hear these words. Uh, Jesus, we invite you to fill us and make us more in the image of your Son. Make us in your image, Jesus. The one who is without sin, if you fill us, we know you can start chipping away at all the sin stuff. And all we have to do is surrender. Show us where we need to surrender more. And in turn, let us just proclaim what you're doing in our lives to the world and how they can be free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see you next time. Have a good week. Here at Westland Free Methodist Church, we are led by the Spirit, rooted in the Word, mobilized for the mission, committed to our neighbors, and bonded through holy friendship. If you have questions about Jesus or our community of faith, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to get in touch with you. For everyone else here, we reiterate the same thing that Jesus told His disciples. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, this world needs you. You are sent.